welcome to the CCFR Radio Podcast, your source for news, updates, and stories from the CCFR. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 155 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Giltackett. Thanks for joining me again. Today on the show, we have a ton of stuff. As usual, I have a long conversation with Tracy Wilson coming up. Um, I have a fairly long monologue with some very interesting things. We got clips. We got crazy statements by anti-gunners, man. We got it all today for you. Uh, so anyway, before we get started, I just want to thank the sponsors of the CCFR Radio Podcast. A huge thank you goes out to our great friends over at the Saskatchewan Rivers Chapter of Safari Club International. They do a lot of great work over there, including supporting the CCFR and the CCFR radio podcast. Check out all their great work at saskriversci.com. That's saskriversci.com. And thank you so much to our great friends over at Vortex Canada. They continue to support the CCFR podcast and the CCFR. Can't say enough about them. Check out all their great products at vortexcanada.net. That's vortexcanada.net. Vortex, the force of optics. Need a new boomstick? Bullseye North is Canada's shooting superstore and a proud supporter of the CCFR. With a wide selection of guns and top trending gear for any shooter, they have what you need. Plus, free shipping over $250, which includes ammo or flat rate shipping of $17 under $250. Some conditions apply. Subscribe to their weekly newsletter to get first access to the hottest deals. CTOMS has been a provider of trauma care training to military and police in Canada for nearly two decades. Now this emergency medical training is being made available to a wider audience through CTOMS online courses. Go to ctomsacademy.com and use promo code CCFR30 to get 30% off. That's ctomsacademy.com. All right, we are back. So, um, you know what? Before I forget, uh, speaking of CTOMS, CTOMS has a memorial project over on their website, and they wanted uh, us to mention it, so I'm going to do that for them. Uh, if you go to ctomsinc.com, that's ctomsinc.com. If it doesn't get you there, just search CTOMS, C-T-O-M-S. Um, they have a project called My Memorial List. So you can go to the website, check it out. I can't describe the whole project, but you can check it out yourself. So go to the website, click on My Memorial List, and you can see what they got going on there. So uh, I also want to thank C. Toms for being such a such a, a longtime supporter of the podcast. We really appreciate the help. We need the help, and I really appreciate it. So thanks, guys. All right. Now I've got some stuff to cover with you, actually, a little bit longer um, monologues uh, section in this podcast than normal uh, because I have a few things to talk to you about and some some really interesting things, uh, obviously, or I wouldn't be wasting your time with it. And even my conversation with Tracy was long. There's a lot going on right now. As usual, I'm sure you never heard me say that before, right? Uh, so let's get started. Uh, the CCFR has officially filed our application to appeal the uh, decision of Justice Kane in CCFR versus Canada. So there's the paperwork for that right now. And uh, leading that uh, that action is going to be Michael Loberg of Loberg Ector in Calgary, Alberta. And for those of you that don't know, um, Michael, I call him Mike, Mike Loberg is the general counsel for the CCFR. And Mike is actually one of the founders of the CCFR. He was there when the CCFR was formed. I came along a few months later, but he was there. He's one of the original people. And uh, and. I don't talk about Mike enough because he's so he's so far more important than anyone knows to the CCFR. Like I really don't be, I really believe that the CCFR either wouldn't exist 
or we wouldn't have gotten as far as we have if it weren't for Mike Loberg himself, because, you know, his contributions, they don't get seen from the outside. But I'll tell you, if I were to guess, and it's just a guess, it's probably more, but Mike has probably done $100,000 worth of work for the CCFR that he hasn't taken a penny for, that he's done for free. And he's not kind of just, you know, your average run-of-the-mill lawyer. Like, he's an exceptional lawyer. Like, we would be paying through the nose for a guy like Mike. And so I, I can't say enough about him. You know, he's one of the best people I ever met. So anyway, I just want to give a shout-out to Mike because I don't, I don't talk about him very often. He's not in the public eye very often, and he really deserves a lot of credit for, for helping gun owners that have never met him and he's never met them, right? So anyway... So Loberg Ector is going to be um, uh, running that appeal for us. So they're going to be supported by JSS Barristers, uh, the same team that we had for the main action. And we'll see where we get. You know, it's going to cost us some money. But we believe that Justice Kane was, um, was wrong in several of the points of her decision, right? Um, namely, can the government just grab whatever it wants? Can it go against actual codified restrictions on the use of OICs? Things like that. And, you know, that's why we're appealing it. And you never know, the Court of Appeals, if they hear our case, that might be another step to the, towards the Supreme Court of Canada. But anyway, the whole point is we're not going to give up. We didn't get, you know, smacked on the butt and then go, you know, crying into the corner and be like, okay, fine. Like it, our mandate is to fight using every legal mechanism that we have access to. And we're going to do that. And we're never going to stop, ever. We're never going to stop with these people. Never. So that's all part of that. So anyway, interesting. So I don't know. If, I'm sure you've seen the story. So this was a really good one. Okay. As you know, Judge Kane ruled against us on everything and paraphrased, you know, for some dumb, dumb, you know, in the mountains like me, you know, her decision speaks to me and says, I've decided despite all the evidence that you've provided, like 100%, found, you know, grounding every claim that you've made. And the government showing up, throwing a few, you know, speaking of dum-dums, throwing a few dum-dums out there, filing affidavits and then performing incredibly poorly during cross-examination, you know, so basically very little evidence, no to little evidence. You know, I've determined that the government can just take whatever it wants, when it, you know, whatever it wants, whenever it wants it from whoever, you know, anytime, like just, and that's okay. And, you know, we don't think that that's true. And on top of all that, she's determined that the government and the RCMP, the way that they classify firearms, they they change, they flip the classifications from like non-restricted to prohibited, and they don't have to tell anybody. They don't have to notify or tell anyone so that you are now in unauthorized possession of prohibited firearm, like the same status of a machine gun, to which you would go to prison for up to 10 years for. They don't she determined that the government owes no procedural fairness to gun owners. Like, I think what I'm trying to communicate to you is the absolute outrageous nature of all of this, right? It's like, are you kidding me? Why do you think people, and I think I might say, I might've said this in Tracy and, and my conversation. Why do you think people are, are, have no faith left in government and institutions? It's not because we're sitting here and I got to be angry at somebody because I stubbed my toe. Oh, you know what? There's the government. You know, it's like, no, it's because of the behavior of the government. It's wild. But then, wait, <laughs> but wait, there's more. Then on, I, you know, on, on Twitter, I see that apparently a group or an individual, I didn't look into it that deeply, but somebody took the government to court over their ban of plastic straws and plastic shopping bags. 
and that the applicant won. And this is what the federal court said about the government's attempt to ban plastic straws and plastic shopping bags. They said that the ban was unreasonable and unconstitutional. The court basically is saying like, hey, you know what? You guys have been fooling around, but there's a red line and you put your toe over it. You tried to ban plastic straws and plastic shopping bags. That's not only unconstitutional, you have a constitutional right, apparently, to have plastic straws and plastic shopping bags, or not to have them, but to have access to them. But it's unreasonable on top of that. Like, no reasonable person would agree with it. And I'm like, uh, what? It's, but this is the upside down world of Canada, right? Everything, everything that is normal and right and you know, clearly common sense or whatever, it's like, invert that, and that's the reality. And when I say it's reality, it's not like the reality on social media. I mean, the physical reality, like I'll take you to jail reality, right? Or I'll seize your property reality, like reality, reality. It's really something. I, that was, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that one really threw me for a loop. I was like, am I reading this right? Is it, do you see this? Is it, am I imagining this? Is this a hallucination? So anyway, yeah, that was quite a story. Um, I got uh, a couple more things I, I want to tell you about, uh, too. Oh, before, yeah, 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 before I do that, you know what? I, I love the format of the podcast because I can relax a lot after doing, like, the TV show where I got a timer running. I can see my timer, like, right under the camera, and I have to be down to the second and super efficient, whatever, and now I got the podcast where it's, like, a just a kind of a, a conversation. Anyway, I wanted to, um, I wanted to give a, a, a shout-out to our great friend Donovan Dewis over at CATF. Canadian Access to Firearms. And, you know, he's the owner of the paper. And, you know, Donovan is an awesome guy. He's a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Um, we have a contest for this rifle that he he made and donated to the CCFR, you know, probably a $4,000 rifle um, that he did a bunch of uh, um, articles on and everything like that. Just, he, he I can't, I can't uh, say enough about Donovan. So, and he does a lot of stuff in the paper. And so he made this. Out of you guys remember this thing here, right? The the poster that we sent to all the the gun stores and the uh, and the ranges. He put one of those for everyone, um, you know, just all gun owners in the paper, so that you can you got that. If you get if you have this issue, what issue is this, by the way? It is the December issue of CATF Canadian Access to Firearms, and you can find that uh, on the internet at CanadaGuns.com. That's CanadaGuns.com, and. You got your own poster that you can put up uh, in the man cave or you put that up at your range if they didn't request uh, one of the posters. So you can always do that as well. So anyway, you know, if we didn't have the help of people like Donovan and the Galt Sportsman Club and, you know, Firearms Outlet Canada, remember if they did that, remember they did that big fundraiser and matching, um, you know, Fred over at FOC donated like 60 grand last year or was it the year before? Like just there would be no CCFR. And this leads me to my next little story, interestingly enough. So I don't spend a lot of time on social media because I'm really, really busy. I have a very busy life. And then I want to live a life with my family and my, my people and whatever at the same time. So the, the one, you know, the buffer that I take time from is social media. So that's why I don't spend a lot of time on social media because I'm trying to live my life. And, uh, and if I do, it's honestly, it's a, a lot of it is Twitter because Twitter's fast, right? That's one of the reasons why it's kind of addictive. So I'll, if I'm, you know, I'll go on social media when I'm having my coffee in the morning and maybe a little bit later at night, 
you know, before I go to bed or something, if I'm just kind of just kicking back or whatever, I'll do it. But um, it's usually Twitter. So I went, I was kind of surfing around last night. And so I'm like, yeah, I should go on Facebook because I probably go on Facebook, I don't know, once every month or two, right? I don't, I used to be on there quite often, but not anymore. So I go on Facebook and I run into this thread in in a group, um, kind of a behind the scenes Facebook group that we have in administrating the CCFR. And the thread is, hey, does anyone know, um, you know, why we've fallen out of favor with whatever club? And I can't remember the club name. I would probably, I wouldn't mention it anyway, but I legitimately can't remember because I hadn't heard of it before. And so I'm like, what's this? And I don't hear about those things because I'm busy. I don't just manage the CCFR. Like I have work to do like this stuff, right? So I'm like, oh, I should pay attention to this. So I start looking through and apparently, um, someone had put one of the posters up, like I just showed you, maybe one of the real ones, or maybe it was the one in the CATF, um, had put that up at the range and one of the executives tore it down. And it was like, you know, and so people are like, well, why, why would they do that, right? There's no logo, there's no, there's no mention of the CCFR on there. And sorry for, for meandering around, but this is, I just kind of want to paint this whole picture because it's, it's actually important. As a gun group that needs support to do the things that we do, we should be, you know, we should be putting our logo on everything, right? But with our group, and I guess it's just kind of the way that I see things is the mission is the most important thing. I mean, we need to, we need support to accomplish our mission or to keep working at it, but the mission, it's mission first. And the mission is to spread information for that, that particular thing, right? Which was the posters. And if that's our mission, then let's not put the logo on it. That's my decision. Don't put anything that has a CCFR on, on there so that all ranges, whether they're insured by us or not, or they don't like the CCFR, they like another group, or they're, you know, they just don't want anything there. Don't put any logos on there because we need informing people is more important than pumping the CCFR, I think is what I'm saying. But anyway, they tore it down. And so when one of our people that is a member of that club said, what's going on? The uh, one of the executive members is this is my recollection, so it might not be 100% goes, uh, you know, the CCFR will find no love at this club. And I guess this person said, why? And they they said, uh, because, you know, we've donated to the CCFR and we don't see that they've done much with the donation. And I'm and there's a lot of there's a lot of misconception. I don't know if it's misconception or it's more tribalism, let's say there's a lot of tribalism out there. And I accept that that's part of our battle space as well. And that's okay. You know, I'm not you know, you're wrong and chase people around. But, you know, it's just interesting. And I I sat there and I was like, okay, fair enough. What have we done in the last four months, let's say? So, of course, we concluded our lawsuit, right? It was the biggest lawsuit ever launched in the history of Canadian gun owners on behalf of gun owners, ever. And by a huge margin, probably by about $1.4 million above anything that's ever been launched before. Okay, really big case. We filed for an appeal. That's costing us money. We did the Scrap C21 project. We mailed out 350 poster packs of four posters to gun stores and gun stores across the country. Again, all funded by supporters of the CCFR to get gun owners informed about what's going on. Why? Because what if there's an election soon? We want to make sure that all gunners, even an 80-year-old guy that doesn't isn't even on social media that goes to shoot his pistols once a week, or his rifle once a week, that he knows what's going on and knows that the liberals and the NDP are not, they're trying to take his stuff away. That's really important. We need access to those people. So that costs money. We did explainer videos with the first Scrap C21 project. We've done press conferences on Parliament Hill. We did, um, 
we've done appearances at, at committees. We did. We have the biggest social media footprint in the history of firearm advocacy in this country, basically by all others combined. Okay, and we do it on eight platforms because I count them. I'm like, we're everywhere, aren't we? Yes, we are. Eight different platforms, you know, and like all that stuff. Like that's all in the last four or five months. I'm not telling you what we've done in the last year or two. That's in four or five months. So anyway, it's just it's just interesting how the tribalism in our community just kind of rages on and it's like, well, what have you guys ever done? It's like, well, we've done everything. Like we can't we can't change legislation when the liberals are in power. It's just not something anybody can do. Nobody can nobody can claim that. And we've been lobbying and everything else that we've done, right, in the last four months and basically the last eight years. But everything that can be done, every every way that we could figure out to lift a finger to do something instead of just sit there, visit firearm forums, and then tell, talk about all the people that aren't doing it. No, oh, they suck. They don't do this. They don't do that. Nobody's doing anything. It's like, what are you doing there, you know, talking on social media, on, on a firearm forum, throwing shade on everybody that's actually doing the work? I still, you know, the, the, uh, the, the OIC is still in place. It's like, well, no kidding. We're not, we're not in the government. But that doesn't mean that you can't do every single thing possible to fight these people, to make it difficult for them to take any step all the way until there's an election, and then make sure that you're preparing for that election the entire time and that you are doing everything possible to have the people that are doing this to you thrown out and people that are friendly to you brought in. And that's what we do every single day. It's just, to me, it's very interesting how, I don't know, I, I criticize the liberals all the time for having these, these uh, adjustable on the fly morals, right? Depending on what it is they want to express at any given time, whether they want to help their friends or they just don't like you and they're gonna you know, say untrue things about you or whatever, right? It's just interesting that there's a lot of that in our community too. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention that because even I, you know, I was sitting here just, and I know I'm going on, thanks for being patient with me, but it's just, I, this is my opportunity to tell you what goes on day to day behind the scenes. Even I was like, what was it, two days ago? It was Monday, yeah. I was sitting there, I'm like, man, I need to come out with a project. I mean, like, we just finished a project, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and on top of the projects, I did three podcasts in three weeks and, and, you know, and two TV shows and travel, right? And so I'm like, oh, you know, it's been so long since we did anything. And I'm like, when I heard this, I'm like, I'm going to just jot down what we've done. I'm like, holy man, that's like the last four months. You know, I'm like, no wonder I'm exhausted, right? No wonder I don't have time to float around social media. Anyway. Thank you for listening to that. I really appreciate it. I know it was a little bit long, but uh, let's get uh, Wilson on here and tell you all the rest of the news that's going on. All right, via Skype, we've got Tracy Wilson of the CCFR. Wilson! I love it. I never get sick of it. I know you're sick of it, but that's too bad. Do it. I think I was sick of it the second or third time that I did it. Now, whenever I go somewhere, though, people yell it so that I know where I, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be when people are yelling at me. Yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, all right, we got lots of stuff to uh, cover, so let's get started. Yes. And, and when I say lots of stuff, I mean we got a whole list of things, and we have clips. We got all kinds of things going on. So, yeah. Um, first thing we want to talk about is is uh, the the liberals have talked about um, banning magazines uh, that are riveted. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I want you to give us kind of the skinny on that. Yeah, so this isn't actually something new that they're discussing. They're discussing it in a new way, and I'm going to explain. But this was actually the ban on 
pinned magazines was actually part of the May 2020 OIC. It was just a little line item down at the bottom in an implementation chart, promising that down the road at some point, using another OIC, they would ban these magazines. So now what they're talking about, of course, this has been stirred up, and Minister LeBlanc is saying um, not only will he ban uh, the sale of those magazines, but he will actually make possession of them illegal as well. So those who own them, like you and I, won't be able to keep them. I'm not entirely sure how that is going to play out. Of course, there are millions and millions and millions of these in the country. They're not a regulated part. So I don't know what that would look like, but um, that's what he's promising. So uh, we're sort of calling it the hunting gun ban 2.0 because this will interest all those hunters out there is it'll sort of in a roundabout way do what they attempted to do with those amendments. It will not ban your gun. However, you won't be able to use it if you can't find a magazine for it that isn't a pinned magazine. So, yeah, it's it's just another sneaky, dirty attack on legal gun owners from the liberal government. Yeah, and I mean, when you're talking about hunting rifles, you know, not, uh, if, if you're thinking about bolt-action rifles, that's... You know, very rarely do they come with magazines that are more than four, really, right? Um, right. But you do have lever actions, mm-hmm. and you do have SKSs, and every yeah, SKS, the SKS, yeah, every SKS magazine is pinned mm-hmm. or welded, right? Sometimes they have a blocker that's welded at the bottom of the follower, right? So it'll affect all of these guns. Just, <laughs> it's funny because it's like the last thing in the world that they want to do, and we're going to get into this in detail. But the last thing in the world they want to do is 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 attack criminals. Nope. Or deal with the issues that lead up to multiple victim public shootings. They don't want to deal with any of that stuff. It's just literally a war on everybody that normally uses a firearm. And, you know, they call that they call that misinformation. It's like, well, it's not misinformation if you can prove it conclusively. Yeah. Right. But anyway, whatever. But that's um, that'll probably be done through regulation, not through legislation. And we'll see. You know, I think I, I think um, part of a lot of these things also are. Basically, basically election promises, right? They're like, yes. oh, keep us in power. You know, we got all kinds of plans. And, you know, it, I would almost say that things might get even worse before they get better because the liberals are really desperate. And we're going to talk about polling in a little bit, but they're really, really desperate. So who knows what else they'll they'll throw out there as a promise to try to throw some red meat to their base. There's a meme about that, the break glass gun control meme, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Now we got a bunch of stuff to discuss about C21. We have a kind of a procedural update and then we have <coughs> some comments from not when you guys are watching this, the most recent meeting, but from when we're recording this, which is on the Wednesday, the most recent meeting. And that was a that was a big one. So why don't you why don't you give us kind of the scheduling update first? Yeah, so actually today we are recording on the Wednesday, so right now there's a meeting going on. It is in camera and it is secret. However, Monday we had a great big marathon five-hour meeting. There was all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, That was the beginning of clause-by-clause consideration and, of course, an opportunity for senators to propose amendments and, of course, have them all voted down. Um, It looks like possibly Monday, beginning of the week sometime, this could go to a vote. Um, and then midweek, the report from the Senate committee will go to the full Senate, and that's where they'll have the opportunity to go into a third reading debate. So, you know, all of that will happen. I It's hard to know exactly which days things will happen on, but I would expect the bill to receive royal assent probably by Christmas, unfortunately. So 
yeah, lot, lots of stuff going on. Amendments were flying on Monday and just watching it kind of in despair. But yeah, just a just a wild ride. Yeah, it is a bit of a wild ride. Now, um, you've got a little bit of commentary to provide about some of the things that happened in that meeting. Um, mm -hmm. After you provide some of that commentary, I have a super clip. There's a whole bunch of clips, but I find I found that they were all quite long. Uh, yeah. and meandering, but it was, uh, as you said before, a really, really long meeting, and there's a lot of material in there. A lot of important things happened. So why don't we kind of have a quick chat about all of the stuff, you know, the you know, um, the voting down of, of anything that would impact criminals and all the, you know, and, and voting along lines so precisely that it indicates a lot of things, stuff like that. Let's, let's chat about that stuff, and then I'll show that super clip after just to kind of reference some of the things we're talking about. Sure. So the big exciting thing was independent Senator Marty Deacon from Ontario uh, put forward an amendment for an IPSC exemption. We saw that in the House committee and it came up again in Senate committee, not from conservative senator, but from an independent one. It, of course, was voted down. And, you know, I hate to feel sort of defeated, but I, I kind of expected that. What I didn't expect to see was just this like brutal, like robotic voting down of literally every amendment that could have had some positive impact on public safety. And I'll tell you what I mean. There was a number of amendments there um, that were sort of being um, inserted into, you know, possibly into the bill to um, some of them were MMPs, like mandatory minimum penalties. Some of them were other measures dealing with around sentencing of violent repeat offenders and no matter what was suggested and s senators on both sides of the the debate spoke to them and even said these are great amendments this is really great this would make a, a big difference however i'm going to vote against it and it was sort of shocking to watch happen because i was like wait a minute like literally everybody in this debate agrees that this bill is flawed it could be better you know despite not having any of the kind of pro gun stuff being passed, what is the rational excuse they can turn to Canadians and give them for not doing what the, the intent of the bill is supposed to be, which is to reduce violent crime, smuggling, gun violence, right? All those things. So I, I, I definitely felt defeated watching all that stuff get voted down. And I'm not the only one. I mean, Senator Plett was exasperated. Um, you know, uh, Senator, uh, there was another Senator who's, who said, you know, can you, we're going to have to answer to Canadians for this stuff. Like we have an opportunity here and it's actually our duty to improve this bill, insert things into it that, that meet the objective of the bill. And yet here we are just robotically voting everything down. And that's exactly what happened. Well, there's, there's an interesting aspect of all this is that the Senate is supposed to be nonpartisan because these people are appointed. They're appointed for life. They don't have to worry about elections or being voted in again or term limits or whatever. And that right. the idea of that is supposed to be like, well, yeah, now they they have no partisan uh, loyalties, right? They could be appointed by Justin Trudeau and be like, yeah, well, Justin Trudeau's the Trudeau government's uh, ideas are, you know, they're <laughs> they're garbage, and I'm not going to support them, and they mm -hmm. can't be touched. Right. They can't be forced to resign or anything. So that was supposed to the idea of the Senate is, is that it's a different place by different rules and they can have that sober second thought. But yet right. all of the people that were appointed by Justin Trudeau voted exactly the way they were supposed to, even when they said this is a great amendment 
and, you know, whatever, this would improve the bill, and then voted against it one after the other every single time. Yes. The numbers were identical every single time. And it's like, well, you just defeated the purpose of the Senate. <coughs> right? Well, and like to me, it's you're you're exactly right. And the thing is, is if the idea of this of the Senate is a sober second thought and they're supposed to be there doing the independent work, here was a perfect opportunity to put something positive that all Canadians could agree on into a very controversial bill. And they just completely failed to do any of it. And it, even Plett called them out for sort of, you know, muttering their votes under their breath. Like he, he stopped and was like, hey, if you're going to vote, like speak up and vote. Like I'm not embarrassed on how I vote, you know, vote with some some courage. Right. So, yeah, it was really something to watch and a little bit. Um, yeah, it was it was angering because it shouldn't it shouldn't be this way. And, and it is. Yeah, well, they did have that opportunity to prove that you're not beholden to the person that appointed you, but it was right. the the, uh, the 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 discipline there was so clear. It really it had really had a feel like instructions were given to these senators, mm -hmm. and that's it. Like do do your job. You know, we did you a solid. We gave you a, a you know one hundred fifty thousand dollar job for life plus a pension plus budget, plus staff, plus everything. You want to live this lifestyle, you do what we tell you to do. And that's that's just what it reeked of, right? I don't know. Yeah, well, there was not only the, I think, you know, in my opinion, watching it, some direction from the Trudeau Liberal government, but there was also a lot of pressure from the anti-gun lobbies. Mm -hmm. um, they got together, they wrote a letter to the Senate, basically imploring them to rush the bill through without amendment, you know, because they're so excited about the handgun ban that's in it, um, they're willing to cast aside all their concerns about the other measures. Um, Polly Souvien, I, I retweeted a tweet from, from them back from a few months ago where they quoted a variety, a, a whole list of women's groups who oppose the red flag measures and the position that it would put women in crisis in, forcing them to go to court, right? Mm -hmm. um, so these, these measures were all rejected soundly by women's groups and women's, you know, uh, protective women's groups. And at the same time, they're like, all of that doesn't matter. Just get that through. We need that handgun ban. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's just, it's not the way we're supposed to do things. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It doesn't matter how this helps women or doesn't help them. Let's get yeah. this thing through. Yeah. Well, anyway, whatever. Um, so anyway, I have, I, I put all these clips into a super clip. I'm just going to show that right now. Just kind of give you examples of what the uh, what the tone was anyway check it out we want to just say you know we have a we have a gun bill here in front of us that says the government wants to clamp down on on some illegal activities that's what they're saying when they're in fact clamping down on legal activities they say they want to clamp down on illegal activities and then when somebody wants to help improve that, so in fact somebody that does do something illegal uh, suffers the consequences, then we have that same government and that same group of, in this case, senators saying, well, no, but let's not be too harsh on these people that do this. It's as though people are voting yes, no, yes, no, this is enough, or um, it, we see a 
pretty sort of uh, structured voting here, repetitive voting, um, for example, against these amendments, and we will be called to task by citizens. Thank you, Chair. I uh, will not be moving my amendment. I'm, I'm going to save the committee a little bit of time. I mean, when when uh, the government is lined up just simply saying we're voting down every amendment, no matter how good the amendment is. And we make comments like, uh, I agree with you, it's a great amendment, and we need to make sure that our Olympic uh, sports shooters can can continue to shoot, but we're going to take all their tools away from them, and we'll do it with an observation. Um, and we somehow think we are doing the country a service. Uh, but in, in, in light of that, Chair, I will... Uh, I will remove my amendment so that we can uh, move on and defeat the rest of the amendments. Now, speaking of the C-21 Senate committee, um, I went back a little ways. I was watching some of the, trying to catch up on some of the meetings, and I ran into this woman, Pam, Pamela Palmatter, or Palmatter or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And the, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully, but what an experience it was listening to her testimony. Why don't you just tell us who she is, I mean, briefly, and then we're going to look at a clip um, from her appearance at SEC-D that is supposed to be contributing to Bill C-21, and then we'll comment on that after. I mean, who is this uh, Pam pa Pamela Palmetter or Pal Palmater or something? Well, she's an Indigenous activist and lawyer from the East Coast, from New Brunswick, and very outspoken. And, um, yeah, she's got lots to say. Oh, that was very brief. But anyway, <laughs> check out this clip from some of her testimony. I think, I don't know if we have time for two clips, but we might. But anyway, check this, this clip out and we'll come back. And we all know that uh, guns are the weapon of choice, especially guns that can have multiple rounds at a time, automatic, semi-automatic, um, and that causes mass casualties at schools, universities, churches, and various other killing sprees, not unlike the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia, sadly. Um, we also have the highest level of online extremism in the world, so that should be a particular concern when it comes to the link between online extremism, the white hate groups, and uh, gun violence, and their close connection to the gun lobby can't be understated in terms of the amount of resources they have access to. Uh, they're able to go to court and challenge all of these things, whereas victims of violence often don't. So there's a lot there. And, you know, people and their testimony like this, like this, this stuff is a problem. It's been a problem in Canada probably for the last 20 years. And it's just ramping up like crazy. But, um, you know, the first thing, I mean, it's just, it's such worthless testimony, but it might end up costing somebody some money. Um, but the first thing she's, you can see that she clearly has no idea about the firearm issue because she's like, and these guns that shoot multiple rounds at a time, she even almost kind of chuckles to herself because she knows she's completely clueless when it comes yes. to the actual practical implications of of the bill or whatever, like it's just and the and the firearms that's regulated, she hasn't she hasn't got a clue clearly, but then she gets into the rest of it. I mean, I don't know, like there's there's all kinds of people out there who say all kinds of things about us, and a lot of it is untrue or embellished. This is 
like this is to me, it's horrific. And I, you know, I don't understand how somebody, this is exactly why we need people to, you know, be testifying under oath. Because I think if you had to put your hand on a, on a Bible or whatever it is you subscribe to, I don't understand how anyone would be able to say such absolute garbage as this. Making a tie between online extremists, white hate groups, gun violence, and us, and somehow trying to tie in our court challenge in there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, she should be accountable for the things she says. Well, I think we may hold her accountable for that. And it's, mm -hmm. you know... It, it, it's, it is like, it's, I don't know, how do you even describe it, right? The most outrageous, ridiculous thing to say. And she's talking specifically about us because, yes. you know, um, because of our court challenge, you know, that, that, because uh, we were the, I mean, to be technical, there was a lot of groups that sued the government. To be technical, we're the only gun group that did. We're yes. the only gun group that are actual applicants. But, you know, to online extremists, White hate groups, a lot of our members and, and volunteers would be very shocked to find out that we're connected to white hate groups because they're not white, by the way. Um, and to and close to and ties to to gun violence. And the the connection between all of those things we just talked about and the CCFR basically can't be understated. Like that's what she said. Like it's it's basically we're the same people. We are those yeah. people. Because the yeah, ties are so close, there's no way to overstate them. And I would really, really love to see one shred of evidence, even one kind of indicator, one hint of any of that. Like these are rantings of someone who's completely disconnected from reality. And, you know, and then all these, the white hate groups have access and resources that we're giving them apparently so that they have access, they could sue the government through us. And when there's, and you know, it's, it's interesting if you listen to the language, because I played it back quite a few times, right? I was like, wow, who in their right mind would even say anything like this? But anyway, this is, these are the, the types of people that we're dealing with, right? Yeah. Um, but she said that these groups, the white hate groups and people that perpetrate gun violence and, and whatever it was, online extremists have access to resources through the CCFR so that they can sue the government. Well, if they're suing the government, that means that they're the applicants, so I looked down the like, list of applicants, is she which is our applicants, me, by things? the way, as an individual, the CCFR, Wolverine Supplies. We have a whole list of applicants. And so those are the actual white hate group members, I guess, that have access to sue the government on mm. behalf of the CCFR. Like we are, we're suing a journalist right now for saying that we had deals with in place, actual deals with Islamophobic groups with no evidence that, that any of that is true. And we're suing that person for defamation. And that mm -hmm. person didn't say anywhere near what this is. And you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, we have as an organization, I know I'm going on and on about it, but as an organization, we have so many other things to be doing rather than to teach completely blindly arrogant, low quality people that you can't just run around and say, things so outrageous, so bombastic about people that you know nothing about and there'd be no consequences. Like just amazing. Like, is that our role? I've, I've said this before. Is that our role in life? 
is to tell I, teach people that yeah. you don't run around and say things like this about people that that aren't true and just because you're trying to get attention because you need it so badly yourself like what is what's going on well i mean it shouldn't be our role we should be focused on you know uh public safety and uh, education and working on legislation that makes us safe for canada and we can do all that but yes, unfortunately, part of this fight, part of this debate is holding these people to account. You can't run around, run into the Senate like some kind of expert on a topic you know absolutely nothing about, light your hair on fire and say horrible things about people that are completely untrue and sit in a, in a, in a seat on a platform of some sort of authority. Like you can't do that. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think that, that is part of our role. You know, for someone that's a lawyer, like that's that like that that amazes me too. She's apparently well, she claims to be a lawyer, so I'm going to take her at her word. And like you, you don't know that this isn't inappropriate. You don't know that you are have no legal protection when you're in the Senate like that. She does not have parliamentary yeah. privilege like MPs do. She has no, no protection against lawsuits whatsoever. I'm just throwing that out there for to be considered. Anyway, oh, you know what? There's come to think of it, there's. There's one more clip. If you really want to understand who Ms. Palmetter or Palmatter or whatever her name is, if you really want to understand the level of person that the Senate will actually invite in to speak, um, here's a really good clip of her, her, her suggesting to senators, you know, you may want to look at some way to not just vet somebody once for if they, have, if they hold a firearms license, but to, to vet them almost continuously. Anyway, check the clip out. We just, we don't have an expansive enough kind of background check mm -hmm. and we don't do it at multiple stages and mm -hmm. it should be rechecked on an ongoing basis. Uh -huh. Who someone was when they bought the gun to begin with could be very different 10 years later. Right, right. So that means going back to people with, with a license, gun license, mm -hmm. and, and doing these kinds of checks mm -hmm. periodically. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, and well, it's like she's asking for some sort of screening to see if somebody's still eligible and you could do it continuously, you know, like continuous eligibility screening. The thing that already literally exists. She goes in there like some kind of, you know, I'm the professor and I'm here to, to give you some knowledge. And she's advocating for a system that literally already exists and is in place. For 30 years. I, it's been in place for 30 years. Yeah. And everybody knows yeah. about it. I mean, when the CCFR came along eight years ago, we took a lot of the issues and 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 uh, firearm regulation and gun laws and stuff that most Canadians knew nothing about. Um, basically, everybody but a gun owner. Even most gun owners didn't know about this stuff. And mm -hmm. we we pushed it out to the forefront, right? Like you and I together have probably done five or six hundred mainstream media interviews in the last eight years, and we talk yeah. about this stuff all the time so that people know that right now there are regulations around the ownership of handguns and, and, and rifles and shotguns and 22s and everything. I mean, anyone that has any peripheral contact with the firearms issue, much less be testifying in the Senate, would know all of this stuff, or at least most of it. And they certainly would know about continuous eligibility screening because we've talked about it endlessly. Let's move on to uh, something that's encouraging. So there's, <laughs> there's even more polling out right now, and the NDP are at parity with the Liberal Party, the NDP, if there was an election, would have a real shot at becoming the official opposition. 
Yeah, that's right. So polling companies across the country, there's there's multiple national polling companies have been doing considerable amounts of polling almost daily at this point. And of course, the conservatives lead has been kind of strong and stable and holding and in fact, climbing up a little bit. And what we've noticed is some of those liberal um, vote intentions, um, enough of them are going to the NDP that it looks like Jagmeet might have the opportunity to move into Stornoway Mansion <laughs> come the next election. So I don't know. I mean, I know that they're sort of in this um, uh, this confidence agreement with the Liberal Party and they're sort of keeping them in power. The Liberals just recently announced that they are going to not meet some of the um, the things they had agreed upon in that agreement. And I think Jagmeet's under a lot of pressure to maybe you know, stop supporting the Liberals, stop enabling them the way he has been. And I think that idea might appeal to him a little better if he knew that he has an opportunity to form official opposition. Like, just imagine. I can't imagine it. But here we are. Yeah, well, that in itself is, is it's really positive. It's really yeah. positive. Now, because, you know, if you looked at uh, a month ago, there was absolutely no reason, there's nothing in it for the NDP to, no. to call no confidence vote, right? Right. Now there's something in it for them. Yeah. Right. I think if we see those uh, numbers kind of, you know, continue in that trend or even trend up a little more for the NDP, uh, I think Justin will be, you know, maybe taking his walk in the in the snow sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, the liberals in general. Right. Doesn't it doesn't yep. help us for him to resign. In fact, the longer no. he stays there, the better that is for us in, in, in terms of an election. But at least there's a carrot there for the NDP. Mm -hmm. You know, and that care won't won't last forever. You know, that's a limited time offer for them to have a shot at being the official opposition. But yeah, yeah, it could that, happen now. You should call it now. <clears throat> now would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Like a Christmas election would be lovely. It sure would. That'd be a nice Christmas present. All right, we're gonna yeah, move on. Santa. So I guess. Well, before I do, I guess that what I'm saying is, even even though Bill C twenty one will pass probably before Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, even though, you know, whatever, there's this talk about magazines and all the rest of that stuff, we still have an opportunity for something good to happen. And these people will not be in power forever. They might not be in power for long. So yeah, hang in there. This hang is, in there, guys. This is the only way it can be done without wrecking everything, right? Yes. Uh, all right. Interesting um, testimony from a guy named Mark Weber from the CBSA. Um, uh, the union that represents all the um, Canadian border uh, border patrol folks. And um, anyway, I'm just going to let him in the clip uh, describe what he brought, a uh, little nugget of information that he brought to the Senate, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, my name is Mark Weber. I'm the national president of the Customs and Immigration Union, which represents personnel working for the Canada Border Services Agency. As part of my testimony, I highlighted a series of issues affecting border operations in general and undermining the CBSA's ability to control the flow of illegal firearms. This includes longstanding and widespread understaffing, major operational gaps impacting highway, marine and rail modes of operation, and the need for increased reliance on CBSA officers' expertise, including between ports of entry. This was almost two years ago. Uh, I take no joy in telling you that as of today, nothing has changed. Uh, the agency's ability to stem the flow of illegal firearms has not improved a bit. The agency's frontline personnel is still overworked, with many facing exhaustion due to sustained understaffing. 
border officers still lack the ability to act between ports of entry, making it harder to address problematic situations in a timely fashion. Tools such as mobile x-rays that could help in intercepting illegal contraband, including dangerous firearms, frequently break down. There is still an almost 0% chance that any illegal weapon entering the country through rail would ever be found. And again, nothing's changed there. All right, amazing. The nugget there, the, the operative part there is, essentially 0% of rail traffic is inspected that comes mm-hmm. across the border. 0%. We have this C-21, we have gun bans, we have buybacks, we have billions upon billions upon billions of dollars aimed apparently at public safety. And yet nothing has happened at the border in the last two years, he said. There's no improvement yeah. at all. They don't have the equipment they need and no rail traffic is being inspected. Boy, the liberals are really trying to get them assault weapon, dangerous assault weapons and handguns off the street, right? Here's the thing. Like there was conversation about this, like he said, years ago. And I remember there was some commentary by uh, conservative MP Blaine Calkins, and he had mentioned these sort of, you know, mobile x-ray things that they can put at the border and, you know, the capacity would be greater to inspect more vehicles and inspect them more thoroughly. And it wouldn't just benefit a reduction in gun smuggling because they could scan for a a multitude of things. You could catch drugs coming across. You could catch all kinds of stolen goods coming across. You could catch human trafficking. Like the benefit to those scanners would far outweigh any, um, you know, any issue with them. And in fact, he did a cost analysis of it and it would be cheaper to put those x-ray machines I think I forget how many he said, but enough to cover the entire every border crossing would be cheaper than doing a buyback for our sporting rifles. So, you know, to me, it really points to the priorities of this liberal government is they have an opportunity and technology, which is what we've always asked for, um, to stop or at least greatly reduce smuggling of guns, drugs, um, illegal stuff and people across the border. Mm Or he can continue his assault on legal gun owners. And they've made their choice. So, you know, Canadians have a choice to make about them. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Pretty wild. Um, All right. So let's wind it up with um, the Gunny Girl calendar is shipping. Yes. Uh, So why don't you, I think you're going to do a little bit of a show and tell on it, right? Real quick. Yeah, I'm going to do a real quick little show and tell. And I know this product project every year, it's sort of, You know, it gets a lot of people upset. Some people, majority of people, 99.9% of people like it. Um, But there's always a couple of people who have something to say about it. And I I had a little bit of uh, feedback from Polly Sassuvia on Twitter. They said, this is the gun lobby's contribution. I love this photo. It's my favorite. um, To feminism. And interestingly enough, I think... Um, as far as feminine and feminism goes, this is a, a project by women for women. The pro, um, the proceeds of this fundraising calendar go to support range days across the country. And everybody knows that because I've said it a million times. But those range days themselves are often also fundraisers. We did one in Alberta where we raised over $10,000 for a battered women's shelter. We've done many, many of them in support of breast cancer and other women's issues. Um, So that's, you know, that's feminism in my mind. Um, 
And we also, for three years running, we've done our Alberta photo shoot weekends. You know, we kind of go away for these retreat weekends with some of the ladies. We do these amazing photo shoot weekends. We cook food, have a campfire, the whole nine yards. And we've been doing it at this ranch in Alberta. And this ranch in Alberta is actually a project in itself. It's a, an, an equine therapy ranch for battered women, for women in crisis and their children. So the funds that we spend going there to rent that ranch and do our photo shoot and use it as accommodations go to support that program as well. Also feminism. And, you know, I meet a lot of different women all across the country at these things. These are average everyday girls um, that come from every corner of Canada. And it's interesting because I remember there was this one uh, weekend, you know, I'm cooking dinner and getting things organized. Women are arriving. Friday's a very busy day. Everybody's rolling in with all their guns and their gowns and all kinds of stuff. And I see this car sitting outside and this woman sitting in it and she's not coming in. So after a little while, I go out and I, I ask her if she's okay, what's going on? And she's in tears. And she came from a very rough relationship, um, a very abusive relationship that she was freshly out of. And he told her she wasn't good enough to be in this calendar. She didn't deserve to be in it. She wasn't beautiful. The by the time she left at the end of the weekend, she had made lifelong friends. She, Her confidence had skyrocketed. She stayed up late giggling around the campfire, you know, laughing, having fun, cheering each other on while they're doing their little photo shoots. And many of these girls, most of them, remain friends, lifelong friends after this, right? So, you know, when you want to talk about our contribution to feminism, like I'm your huckleberry because... I stand behind this project 100%. I stand behind all the girls involved, the sponsors who support it, and every person out there who's participated by buying one. And you get to win fun prizes. So it's available in the store now. The store is hopping, lots of new products. Make sure you check it out. Right. So every, just to be clear, every one of those calendars is a contest entry for prizes that can get drawn like every month or every twice a month or something, right? Yeah, I do. I'm supposed to do them twice a month, but it was easier to do two prizes once a month because my time is limited. So, in fact, um, I'm going to be doing one this afternoon for the month of November. I'm going to be drawing two cool prizes and one of them is a gun. So, yeah, I mean, there's really cool, awesome prizes all year long. So, yeah, you and you can win over and over. You just it's not like uh, where you get drawn and your name gets taken out. We've had winners win twice in one year. Yeah, so. so that means it's at least 24 draws that are free just for buying the calendar. That's right. How, yeah. How much is All the calendar? All donated amazing I, prizes. I, Some of them are really big prizes. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know the answer. How how much is the calendar? <laughs> it's $25. Well, there you go. Yep, 25 bucks. And um, yeah, we got some calendar signings come up. I'll go through this real quick. Uh, Friday, December 8th, at 6 p.m., we'll be at Bullseye North in London. Saturday, December 9th, in the morning at 10.30, we'll be at Shooter's Choice in Waterloo. 2 p.m. next Saturday, we'll be at Suck Shooting Supplies in Cambridge. And Sunday morning at 10 or 11 a.m., we'll be at SFRC in Kingston. For you guys out in the West, um, Saturday, December 9th, from 2 to 4, you can go to the Shooting Edge, meet the girls, get a calendar. Sunday, uh, December 10th, 10.30 to 12.30, they'll be at Calgary Shooting Center. So you can pick up your calendar, chat with the girls, get them to sign it if you want, support the CCFR, and do your Christmas shopping at those retailers that are supporting our program. Yeah, so. 
That's fun. Yeah. You know, over the years, every year Polly reacts mm -hmm. and a couple of Polly's followers like that Hamer guy and putting down the women, putting down the CCFR, putting down the project. And it's funny because um, I looked through the, the one year, I think it was last year, it was the year before this Hamer guy. I think maybe it was Hammer, like Hammerhead. But um, I think so. He had, you know, put a bunch of um, criticism about women that would participate in that project, even though they're doing it for themselves, not for, you know, whatever. Um, and you should have seen, these are all supposed to be these caring leftists, right? These, yeah. these people. And just the stuff, I, I screenshotted all of it. I'm not going to show it or whatever, right? But I screenshotted all of these comments. They were just the worst things. It's like the people that claim to be the best tend to be the absolute most vile people out there. It's a... It's quite a, it's quite an interesting um, pattern that I see with this kind of yeah. stuff. But. Well, none of these people would ever, you know, speak to these women to their face like that. But it's easy to sit behind a keyboard and say awful things about people that you have no idea what it took to be there. You have, it takes a little bit of uh, courage to, you know, first of all, put yourself out there to try out and then you get in and you got to show up at these weekends. You don't know anybody like it's a lot, but they do it because they believe in it and because it supports other women. And the whole, yes, the feminism literally seeps out of this project in so many different ways. And it means a lot to the people involved. So, and it, yeah. It does take a lot of courage. These aren't, these aren't, aren't models that we hire. These no. are people from our community, right? Yes. Yeah. Like you'll see that's, you know, like average everyday ladies from all across Canada. We've had them all the way from age 17 up to age 60. Like, it takes a lot to put yourself out there like that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm of the firm belief, like I, you know, I like to hold women up and I believe every woman is a calendar girl. So, you know, yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a fun thing. And we get to dress up and get photos and the girls get all the leftover photos that we don't use, you know? So yeah, it's, it's just a lot of fun and we, we love it and we are self-funded. So yeah. Awesome. Great. All right. We've been at it for a while. Oh, yeah. A long time. But uh, okay. there was a lot to talk about in this episode. But anyway, thanks for the update. And uh, I guess we will see you next time. All right. We'll see you then. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for episode 155 of the CCFR Radio Podcast. I'm not going to do any more talking. I've done enough here. I'm sure you're sick of listening to me. I'm sick of talking. Uh, so I'll make it quick. The only thing I'm going to leave you with is that um, if you want something from the store before Christmas, you got to get your orders in right away because I um, the store was sending me articles to wear on the podcast. And I think I think that got mailed a week ago. I still don't have it. I mean, fine, it's coming from Ottawa to the West Coast and everything, but I still don't have it. So you can see that the mail system is getting busy already. So if you want anything for Christmas, uh, CCFR stuff from the store, make sure you order it as soon as possible so that order can get out and into the mail system if you want it by Christmas. Anyway, just thought I'd mention that. And uh, the other thing is there will be a little bit of a break. I think it'll be three weeks between podcasts uh, over the Christmas break or whatever. But uh, but yeah, other than that, you will have the CCFR radio podcast coming your way every two weeks as usual. Anyway, thanks so much, everyone, for your support. If you want to become a member or donate to the CCFR, you can do that at ccfr.ca or firearmrights.ca. Thanks so much, everyone, for your support. Take care, and we will see you next time. This is another episode of the CCFR Radio Podcast. Remember, if you don't stand up for your own ability to own and use firearms, who will? Join the CCFR or donate right now at www.firearmrights.ca.